it's great to see you today. Uh, welcome, everybody. I want to say a special welcome to you if you're a guest here with us today. And uh, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. And I also want to welcome those that are watching online today and then our good friends down at the Correctional Center campus in Mod 7. Let's actually welcome them here with us today. So, yeah, let's give it to them. Awesome. <clears throat> Well, as you know and as you've heard, we're in a series right now in the Old Testament book of Psalms. You can actually turn there right now. We're going to be in Psalm 42 today, and uh, I love this series. We started off in Psalm 145, and then we went to Psalm 19, and then next weekend, as you've heard, we're going to have a friend of Brookside here with us, Myron Pierce, and I'm excited not only to see him and to have him here with us, but he's going to teach us through Psalm 32, and so super excited uh, for that next weekend. You know, the subtitle of this series in the Psalms is what we've, we've called this. We've said it like this, God in every part of your life. And the reason why we gave it that subtitle is because that's, that captures so well what we see happen over and over in the book of Psalms. We see that the Psalms address things like the highest highs, but also the lowest lows. We see that uh, whether you're feeling a, a period of your life right now where it's all good, things are up and to the right, or maybe it's a season for you that's really, really tough. The Psalms address things like that. They tackle sin issues, they tackle victories, uh, they tackle addictions, all sorts of things the Psalms talk about. So real, so applicable. So today what we're going to be doing is when we look at Psalm 42, we're going to find a psalm that I think will be helpful to each and every one of us. You know, as Tim was thinking through this series, and then when we decided to do this series in the book of Psalms, I emailed Tim and I just said, hey, could I do Psalm 42? And the reason why I wanted to do Psalm 42 isn't so much because I desired to teach it, but because I felt like I needed to. It's one of those. And on the, on the personal front, I had been just reading, and I came across Psalm 42. And what I found was, in that season of my life, it was so helpful to me. Because honestly, I was discouraged. I was going through a harder time in my own personal life, just, you know, with things that happen in life that you all have your ups and downs, and, and I sure do as well. And I remember just kind of reaching out to Tim and saying, hey, could I teach on that? Because what I learned from Psalm 42 is been, has been so helpful to me. And what I found was during that season for me, and maybe it's a week for you or a whole season, or maybe it's a, you'd say, wow, it's years on end. But what I needed to know in that season was this. Lord, when I don't feel certain things, how do I remind myself of the truth of God? Well, Lord, maybe when my passion seems like it's a bit lacking, what can I do to get myself, to get my heart in the right spot? Ultimately, God, you do that for me, but I also have to do my own part. I have to take my own step toward that. It was helpful to me in ways like this. I was able to approach God and say, Lord, would you shape my thinking? How do I think? How do I act? How do I respond when I feel discouraged. And so anyway, this psalm was so helpful to me. I think today, as we look at this particular psalm, and let me just say this, we're going to see someone who experienced such lows that they wanted to die. They wanted to completely call it quits. And that by the end of the psalm, this will be encouraging to some of you, the problem that the psalmist was facing was not resolved. It was not resolved. No beautiful hallmark story ending at all. But the way that the psalmist dealt with that period is so important. It can, it can really school us in a good way this morning. And I'll just say this. If you're newer to Christianity, maybe you're newer to the scriptures, one of the things that I love about the Bible is this. It talks about, and you see the lives of real people 
that experienced high highs, yes, but also that experienced low lows. We see that in the scriptures. We also see it just historically in people that we would look to and say, wow, that person, that's a, that's a pillar of the, in our faith. That's a, a strong leader in Christianity. What we see in many of those people's lives is not only did they maybe experience a season of a low, but maybe they experienced a whole lot of lows that really shaped the trajectory of their life. But we know this. We see this in so many of them. They battled through. They looked at a time of discouragement, and, and maybe you're feeling a time of despair right now, or you just got a challenge that you're facing. But we see this. People over the decades have, have looked at those times, and they battled through them. This morning, we're going to learn, okay, Lord, give us some tools. How do we do that? We'll see how to do it in Psalm 42. Let me ask you this question, though, and just be honest with yourself. What do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're down? What do you do the week after or the month after, or the years after you got the phone call that changed everything? Well, what do you do when the challenges of life seem to outweigh the joys? What do you do when despair seems a whole lot more appealing than just continuing to push through and, and kind of you feel like you're just trudging through the mud? What do you do when you'd rather just give up and call it quits than really grab some grit and go for it and keep going. What do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're discouraged? The reality is this. If we were to graph every single one of our lives, from the oldest person in the room to the youngest, we would see this. We all have our highs. And depending on your personality, you might have more higher highs than normal. And we all have our lows. And depending on your personality, you might go lower than the norm, right? But we all have our highs and our lows. This morning, though, we're going to tackle this question. What do we do in the lows? Because if you do nothing in the lows, you will go lower. That's a reality. So we're going to leave here today saying, okay, when I face the low, because the scripture will address it, and it's a, it's a gift to us, what do I do? So let's do this. I want to read this psalm in its entirety, and then we're going to go back. We'll work through each verse of it. So why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me? We'll read through Psalm uh, 42. And we stand up sometimes just as a reminder to us, uh, Lord, we want to revere you, and we thank you for your word. And so let me read this psalm, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Psalm 42, verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the Mount of Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer agony, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Pray with me. 
Lord, we pray now and we just say, would you speak to us this morning? God, I, I beg you, would you speak to the deepest part of us this morning? God, I pray that you would shape not only our feelings, but you'd shape our thoughts, Lord. I pray that you would equip your people, Lord, to face the very real things that we face week in and week out, the highs and the lows this morning. Lord, help us to be a people that when we get hit by life, we handle it well. Help us to be strong. Teach us how to be. Lord, we love you. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I remember the summer when news quickly spread at the lake where I spent a lot of summers. Uh, the news quickly spread that summer that there was a guy that was going to come, and his name was Mike Seipel, and he was known as one of the world's uh, best barefooters, barefoot water skier. And he was going to come, and he was going to teach us how to barefoot well. And I didn't pay good attention because I could never do anything like that, but he was going to be our teacher. And I remember how honored it, we felt to have him coming to us to be able to school us. He was going to open his playbook. He was going to share, hey, this is what I do in this situation. Here's how you can get to this level and all these kinds of things. Today, I love this. Today, when we face the situations like this, what do you do when you're down? We're going to learn from this psalmist, and it's an honor for us to be able to learn from the scriptures this morning. We're going to be able to learn from someone who knocked it out of the park when they were down. A person that was facing such great despair, but in the midst of their despair, they handled it so, so well. It's a playbook to follow. Now, a logical question, I think, when we approach this psalm, a psalm like this, is to ask the question, who wrote this psalm? And let me just say to you, there's a lot of debate around this question, so let me just give you the very short version. Some believe that it's David, that he's the, the author of this psalm, and they believe that because the language in Psalm 42 is very similar to the language that we see in Psalm 63. Others, though, they say it's this, and this might be the subtitle that's over the psalm. It is in my Bible. It says, the sons of Korah. Modern scholars primarily believe this, and, and they believe, and these were Levite priests, and so they believe that these sons of Korah were going through different things, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but when they were in the midst of their despair, they penned these words. As to historically when this was written, again, if it was David, they believe that it was probably written when David was fleeing for his life from his son Absalom. Imagine if your son, your son was trying to kill you. Greatest despair of his life, he might have penned these words then. Sons of Korah, maybe they wrote it during the time of exile or maybe shortly thereafter. It was the greatest time and really the, as you look through the scriptures, it was the most trying time, the time of, of greatest despair. God's people were being marginalized. It was a period of great suffering, of great decline. But whatever the case and whoever the author, Psalm 42, there's no doubt about it. It talks about struggle and difficulty, and it talks about the times even when God seems to be distant. So look, let's look at verse 1. There's so much we can draw from this. That's why it's one of my favorites. Verse 1. Try to picture this. It says, as a deer, so as a wild animal, pants for streams of water, so my soul, so this is like the deepest part of you, deepest part of me pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, this psalm is one that you could think of in these two verses, particularly as kind of nice and kind of sweet. You know, we, we can put the images actually from verses one and two. We sometimes we put these on like t-shirts or, or like on a coffee cup. Look at, look at this coffee cup here. 
Check this out. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I, yeah, now, now let me ask you a question. Does that deer look like it's longing for anything? <laughs> no, if you have that coffee cup, I apologize, but that deer is not longing for anything. Beautiful flower necklace. You ever seen a deer cruising down the highway, you hit it with your car, and you're like, oh, I'll take the necklace? No, it just doesn't happen, does it? That deer is not longing for anything, but the psalmist is painting a picture. I'm a wild animal, and I'm so thirsty, I'm dehydrated, and if I don't get some water, I'm going to die. This is life and death. God, if you don't speak to me, I won't make it through. God, if, if you don't show up, God, you seem distant. God, where are you? And God, if you don't show up, I won't make it. That's the condition of the psalmist. This psalm, everybody, it is a psalm of agony, complete despair. Lord, I am desperate for a fresh word from you. Yet, and I, I think we cannot miss this, how wise it is of the psalmist to cry out to God. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you need to talk to God the most, it's the time, times when sometimes you reach out to him the least? It's those times when you know, oh, I really need God, but you're so overwhelmed maybe by the despair or the depression or, or whatever you're going through that you, you know you're in trouble, but you don't reach out to God because you're just overwhelmed by the problem. I think this is something that's very important here. The psalmist reaches out to God. The psalmist fights a very real urge to say, you know what, God, I'm not even going to talk to you. The psalmist addresses that. Notice, too, the passion. The psalmist says, my soul, or the deepest part of me, the core of, of my being, Lord, it pants for you. My soul is thirsty for you. When can I go and meet with you? Lord, I am desperate for you. Now, we could end this message, I believe, right here and just have a little time of prayer and just say, God, just this morning, we want to learn this one truth. God, would you help us to be the kind of people that our passion for you is like that? Lord, would you help us be the kind of church that, Lord, when we think of you, we, we pray with that kind of a passion. Lord, I am desperate for you. We live with that kind of a passion. We, we live such lives of faith that, Lord, if you don't come through, it will show. I think that's a lesson we can learn from this. Look at the passion there. Look at verse 3. What do you do when you're down? This is a picture of being really down. As in so down and life is so rough that if you've ever been here, you stub your toe or you have to sit at a long stoplight on the way to work, you have a complete meltdown. You just start crying. You're like, what's wrong? I just stubbed my toe. But you know, you're on the brink. That's why you're crying. Verse 3, my tears, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. So depressed, he's on the brink of tears all the time. I'm eating tears sleepless, stressed out, severely depressed. That's his condition. Have you ever been so down and out that you felt like I'm on the brink of tears? I could cry at any moment. And someone comes up to you and they say, how are you? And instead of saying good, you just start to cry. That's the moment here. That's what's happening. That's, he's on the brink. And then he says this, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long. So these people are noticing. You're at work and someone notices you're not doing well. People are noticing, but these people are jumping on it. And they're saying, hey, where is your God? Where is your God? He's being, he's being taunted. Where is your God? Because it, 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 appears, it appears that you've been abandoned by your God. You know, I think it's helpful to remember that when we face times of trial and despair, the enemy would love to whisper into your ear or into my ear lies that would continue to derail you and 
allow you to go lower than you already are. The enemy would love to say things to you like this. Who do you think you are? Do you really believe that God is for you? Do you really believe that that dream is of God and that God's going to fulfill it? Who do you think you are? Let me ask you, what kind of script do you wake up with in the morning? What kind of script do you wake up with in the morning? What thoughts about you and your God are going through your mind right when you wake up? Verse 4, notice how the psalmist is fighting here, fighting for truth and for hope and for outlook. And I hope you take, away this, take this away this morning. There is nothing passive in this psalm. The psalmist is in despair, but he's aggressive. It's an offensive move. If you're going to say, hey, what's the playbook of Psalm 42? It's offense. It's press in. He says this, these things I remember. In other words, I'm fighting for these things. As I thirst for you, God, I'm beat down in this place, yes, but as I do, I remember as I pour out my soul. Notice that he's not afraid either to speak what he feels to his heavenly father. Know this, everybody. Your father in heaven longs for you, longs for you to communicate the deepest parts of you because he cares as I pour out my soul. And then he says, how I used to go to the house of God. So he's remembering. He's referring to the temple. He's referring to a a time in his life where he was able to partake in in corporate worship. And he's saying, I remember these are good things. I remember how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He remembers the day, the good old day. When maybe he was not only just with God's people, you know, maybe you experienced that this morning in song. I did just backstage just being with you with the wall between us. I said, oh, it's so good to be with God's people. That's what he's referring to there. But he wasn't maybe just with them. He might have been even leading them if he was the sons of Korah. That's one of the, the priests and the uh, Levite leaders. But he's doing this. He's remembering. I remember what it's like. And then he continues to go on. And, and notice this, everyone. He's not letting his circumstances completely dictate his mind. He's letting his memories of who God is impact his mind. Maybe you're in the midst right now of a peak season in your life. You just saw God do a miracle. You just saw God come through in a way that you prayed about and you hoped, and, or you just saw a little glimmer of light in that child's life, or, man, that marriage has been tough, but you got a little glimmer of hope there. Don't lose track of those things. This is why we encourage you around here, keep a journal. Keep a journal because you can go back in your journal and you can go, oh, what? I remember. Because that's what the psalmist did. I remember. I keep these things before me. I'm fighting for truth. And the, one of the ways that I do it is I remember. You know, when we go on summer vacation, we have this journal that we get out and our kids hide it up in this little treehouse thing. We get it down, and, and we, 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 we get this thing out every year. And before we, though, we write down everything that's happened in the last year, one of the things that we do is we look back and we read the previous years. It's a great reminder that, okay, God, you've been faithful to us. You were faithful to us in 2011 and 2012 and, wow, 2013. And God, it's just this reminder. That's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is remembering. God, this is how you have showed up in my life. He's saying, I remember. Verse 5, look at this. The psalmist now, you're going to see this, he really begins to wrestle with himself. Verse 5, my, why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed? Not just sad, everyone. Why are you so disturbed within me? Notice what's happening here. He's having an argument between his mind and his soul. So his mind is saying, why do you feel the way that you do? And his soul is saying, I just told you I, the reason I feel the way that I do. The enemy's attacking me. I'm being, you know, I'm being taunted. That's why. And then his mind says, but remember truth. And then his soul says, yeah, you know, God's not for you. Da, da, da. And then his mind says, no, 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 remember. I remember who you are. And it's this battle back and forth and back and forth. Know this, everyone. This is not rose-colored Christianity. There is no Sunday school answer that you got of this psalm. But you see what the psalmist does when he's facing a huge trial. What do you do as a follower of God when you are down? He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then notice this. He says, put your hope in God. Talking to himself, self-coaching. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. In other words, that's what I'm choosing. When I got the playbook of what I could do, that's the play that I'm going with. I put my hope in God, yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. He's declaring it. He's the one that's fighting for me, my Savior and my God. Verse 1, he said, you're the living God. Verse 9, he said, you're my rock. Verse 11, he said, my Savior and my God. In other words, he's saying, my hope is in you, and I'm going to remember. My offensive move in the playbook is to remember who you are. So many of you have walked with God for decades and you've experienced some low lows, and yet even in the midst of the low lows, you've chosen to praise God, and you've praised him. You've chosen the hard route, and you've fought for that. You've had such grit. That's what we see in the psalmist. Such grit. I'm committed to praising you, God. Verse 6. He says, my soul, though, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, and I picture him saying that word with passion and conviction. My soul is downcast within me, therefore, and then notice these next four words, and I would underline them if you can. He says, I will remember you. Isn't it true we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember? Ever felt that way? Dwell on what you should have forgotten? He's allowing, though, the, his memories of God to release him, I think, from the trap of his own mind. Instead of focusing on only the problem, he's saying, Lord, I remember, I remember you. How do you handle a setback, church? How do you handle a big disappointment as a follower of God? Here it is. You remember him. You recount his faithfulness. You go back to the year when you found Christ. You go back to the person who led you to Christ. You go back to the fact that God has you in this place so you can find him. You look at the places in your life where you just go, okay, God, you've been faithful. God, you showed up. Oh, I didn't deserve that, but you gave me that. You look and you recount and you say, okay, that's who you are. I remember. He's actively fighting by remembering. Verse 7. Watch him battle. Back to the pit. Here we go. Verse 7. See this struggle. His mind one way, his soul, everyone goes the other way. Verse 7, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. His mind goes one way, his soul goes the other way. Verse 6, I remember your faithfulness. Now verse 7, Lord, it seems like you're very aware of what I'm experiencing, but Lord, where's the help? Lord, are you on vacation? 
I'm drowning in pain here. Your waves, your waves, your waves have swept over me. And then look at verse 8, though. He's back to hope. Here we go. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. You ever had a song just stick with you and it just helped you? That's what he's describing. A prayer to the God of my life. He's declaring, God, you are not absent. God, you are with me. Again, it's self-coaching, everyone. The God who I know, the God who I trust, the God who has rescued me will rescue me again. Even though I feel like I'm not going to be rescued, I will trust that I am because he hasn't let me down yet. Brooks said, we have to be schooled by this. In the midst of great discouragement, he reminds himself of God's faithfulness and God's overarching love. Not just for the circumstance, but he reminds himself of God's overarching love. We see this now lived out. Look at verses 9 and 10. He's going back down again. He says, "I I say to God, my rock, why? So honest. It's okay to be like this. Why have you forgotten me? Any of you feel forgotten by God? He says, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He says, my bones suffer moral agony, and as my foes, they taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Look at what he's doing here. He's fighting for control. He's fighting. He's saying, Lord, I want the reins to my heart and my mind, and I'm not going to let up. I I have to have grit. I'm going to trust you. I will stick with that. Lord, you direct me with your love, he says in verse 8. Yet he's just questioned in verse 9, why, Lord? Back and forth and back and forth. It's a battle. Why have you forgotten me? He's, He's doing this because he feels like God has forgotten him, yet he knows that God is with him. I've heard it said this way, feelings make great followers, but not great leaders. He's fighting his feelings, and he's fighting them with truth. Verse 11, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? He's repeating it again. Why are you so disturbed within me? Have you ever been so down and out, and you tried to get out of it? And I think that's what's happening. It's like maybe he got there, and now he's (laughs) right back. But have you ever been in that place where you just try to get out of it? You're in kind of a funk, and you just try to get out of it, and you keep trying, and maybe you write down a gratitude list, or you write on your finger the initials S-C, stop complaining. And then on the other hand, you put a smiley face. And so you look down, and you go, stop complaining throughout the day. And then you, look, you put on that fake smiley face, and you just uh, you try to do it, and you, deep, you know, breathe deep, think positive thoughts, and you're trying, you're coaching yourself. Have you ever been there? That's where he is. He's living in the struggle. Again, not a storybook ending. It's how do you do it? How do you get through? You ever been so focused on your troubles and that your mind just went there so much, you just couldn't get out? That's where the psalmist is. He comes back to it. Look, he repeats verse 5. But then notice what else he comes back to. He comes back to the question, why are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? But then right back to the truth. Look at this. Don't miss this. He says, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is, I believe, my greatest takeaway from this whole psalm. It's this. When life is hard, I can stay focused on my circumstances or I can actively, not passively, 
I can actively put my hope in God. This is powerful because when we put our hope in God, what we're doing is we're elevating our minds and our thoughts and our feelings well above our circumstances and straight to our Creator who loves us dearly. Notice this. By the end of the psalm, he is not still where he wants to be. You know, it's not like one of these psalms where it starts out rough and and then, it, you know, there's some drama in the middle, and, but at the end, it's like, yay. It doesn't go that way for him. Yet, he's clinging to God, his only hope, the only one that's going to bring him through. I want to I wrap this up in this way. I want to talk to you about three specific things that I think you can take away from this text. Three specific things that you can go, okay, I can apply this tomorrow. Number one, Choose passion for God. Notice how the psalmist does this. And I think the fact that the psalmist chose passion for God in the midst of trial makes the passion for God that he models all the more inspiring. I mean, look at those words that he's saying. Lord, I, I thirst for you. Lord, if you don't come through, Lord, I need you so much. My soul thirsts for you. I want my heart, everybody. I believe this is true of you as well. We want our hearts to be in a place where it would be said of us, oh, he really thirsts for God. He longs for God. For him, God is more important than anything else. God, help us with that. There's nothing that that person, that he or that she puts above God. That's the desire, the top desire of their soul. I believe that's one of the things we take away from this psalm. This psalmist was passionate for Jesus. In the list of all of the things that could have captured his affections, his longings, he comes back to this, God, and only you, God, only you can fulfill me in this way. The psalmist chose to pursue God and to pursue him with great passion. I heard it said this week, this way, there is a difference between longing for relief from the pain or longing for a solution to the problem and longing for God. The psalmist would love to have the situation changed, but the bottom line is he's saying this, Lord, I'm longing for you, and it would be greatest if my satisfaction was in you, more so even than you solving the problems that I'm facing. God, your presence is my relief. Think about that. Your presence is my relief. Number two, increase prayer when you're facing despair. And sorry, that's the only one I could get to rhyme this morning. But, but increase prayer when you're facing despair. Think about this, especially when you're prone to go silent. You ever get that way? When you're down, your biggest temptation is to go silent. I'm struck by the fact that the psalmist could have turned to an addiction. The psalmist very clearly could have turned to an easy solution, a click away. The psalmist very easily could have gone down the road that just says, hey, God, since I feel, feel like you've left me here, I'm abandoning you. He could have gone down that road, but he doesn't. Instead, he pursues God. I believe that one of the greatest lessons from this text, and it's the one that could be so, it's so obvious that it could be easily missed, it's this. The psalmist is choosing to pray to God. He's making the choice. I, I choose so think about this. When you're in the pits, when you're down, when you're in a situation, maybe it's with a friend or maybe it's with you're dealing with loneliness, maybe it's a business deal, maybe it's something with one of your children, whatever it is that gets you in this place, 
The temptation will be, I'll just handle this alone. I'll go about this myself. And you'll live in the world maybe of your mind like I can. And that's not the right solution. The solution is this. Go to the Lord. Have you ever noticed this? When you really spend some time praying about something, when you leave that time with the Lord, your perspective is changed. God renews your strength. God changes your perspective. Have you ever prayed for an enemy? Maybe someone who's trying to harm you? Have you ever noticed that the more you pray for them, the less they become your enemy? Pray. Seek God in the midst of your despair. You'll find, okay, Lord, your promises. You reminded me of who I am. You reminded me of who you are. Okay, God, you also reminded me that this is a situation I'm facing, but Lord, you're in charge of all the situations, and so Lord, you've got this, and you had that in the past, and and in that year you had that, and so, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm just going to keep moving forward. That's the result of spending time with God in prayer, and so when you're in despair, Seek God in prayer. I, I sensed this just reading the scriptures the other day. It was, or journaling actually. It's just one of those things though for me. It was so helpful. It was like the Lord said to me, it's time to trust. <coughs> Enough worrying. It's time to trust. Pray. In our 365 reading this last week, we came to Luke chapter 11. This might have stuck out to you as well. There were two words that jumped off the page to me in Luke chapter 11. Here they are. The words were shameless audacity. If you remember, Jesus is telling this story of a man who won't take no for an answer. And so he's knocking on his friend's door and he's trying to get what he wants. And he's just like, he's, he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking. He has like grit. He has like psalmist's grit here. And he keeps knocking at this friend's door. And finally, the friend opens the door and gives him what he wants. And Jesus says, okay, this parable is about prevailing in prayer. And it says that basically Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know that I will honor your bold dependence and I will honor your persevering. So he says to him, Luke chapter 11, he says, yet because of your shameless audacity, you kept coming. You kept pursuing me he will surely get up and give him as much as you need. Jesus said, be like that. When you face despair, don't write God off. Invite him in. And then number three, recount and remember who God is. It might seem like a small step in the process, though. This is critical. Did you notice how many times the psalmist did this? He said, I remember I remember. Remember the land of the Jordan. What's your land of the Jordan? Do you remember? What's that moment that you saw the hand of God? Do you remember it? Mount Hermon. What's your Mount Hermon moment? You have one, I assure you. You have many. What are they? It's so small, but it's so important. And while we were on vacation a few weeks ago, I was mowing on my dad's riding lawnmower, and I mowed this section that's out, out kind of by his outbuilding, and, and I had done this whole section, and, and then you have to get on the road to go to his main property, and and so I'm on this fairly large riding lawnmower, and so I get on the road, and this thing's pretty fast, and, and, and it just goes a lot better when you raise the deck, you know? So I turn off the mower, I raise the deck, and I'm cruising down the road to start mowing again. I get to the place where I start the mower again, so I engage the mower, off I go, and I'm mowing. I mow a section, football field long, football field back, football field long, football field back. And about that time, my neighbor walks out to me, and she's a gal I grew up with, and she lives in that home now, and... And she said, hey, she said, I only noticed this because I did the same thing last week. She said, you're mowing, but you're not mowing. I said, what? She said, well, it's running. She said, but look, the deck's not down. 
And I was like, oh, my word. You know, I'm looking at what I've been mowing, you know, and, but I wasn't mowing. And so, sure enough, I put the hydraulic deck down and hit the mower again, and here, off we go, and we're actually going to mow some grass this time. You know what it was? It was this lever. That's it. That's what this is. It's that small. It's the action of, oh, Lord, I remember. When you remember, it triggers everything. When you remember, God, you did this. God, you have been faithful. God, you haven't answered every prayer, but you've sure answered enough that I can trust you. God, you gave me your word, and so it'll direct my heart. It'll direct my life, and so I'm committed to it. You remember, it changes everything. Let the truth of who he is impact your mind and your soul. The psalmist remembers who God is. And, and I just want to point this out. Look at the way the psalmist coaches himself. Maybe even go back through this psalm later today, underline these things, circle these things. Verse 2, he says, you're the living God. Verse 4, you're the mighty one. Verse 5, verse 11, you're my Savior, my God. Verse 8, you're the God of my life. Not the God of history, not the God of my kids. You're the God, yes, you are of that too, but you're the God of my life. Verse 11, you're my rock. What do you do on a rock? Oh, you stand on a rock. Secure, it's above, it's strong. God, you are my rock. He's reminding himself, mind, you need to have a big view of God so that we can lead our soul. Remember, he's in a battle. Yesterday in our reading, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, what does it say? It says that God is our shield to those who take refuge in him. God is the shield to those who take refuge in him. It's active. We have to do it. We have to initiate it. We're going to close this morning with Robin. The team are going to sing a song over us this morning. It's called, um, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of you know it. You know it well. Some of you know the story behind it. I don't think we can tell the story behind it enough. The song was written by this guy named Horatio Spafford in the 1800s, and, and this was a guy that experienced some pain. This is a guy that knew what it meant to suffer by getting hit by life. He was a successful real estate guy, successful lawyer. He got, though, financially wrecked when, in 1871, the Chicago fire happened. It wrecked him. It wiped him out. His wife, particularly, was devastated. And so in an effort to lift the spirits of everyone, he sent them on a trip to England. He planned to join them. His circumstances had it, though, that he had to stay back for a while, so then he goes to join them. But before he leaves, he finds out that his wife and his four daughters, as they've gone, their ship collided with another vessel and it sank. His wife survived, but his four daughters have all died. And so he gets into this boat and he's about to go see his grieving wife. And as he passes over the area where his daughters have perished, he pens the words to this song, it is well with my soul. And you have to ask yourself the question, how could he write those words? And if you read the lyrics, you find out, like the psalmist, he was coaching his soul. He was coaching his soul, living on the offense. And what strikes me about these lyrics are this, is that Horatio Spafford was clinging to his redemption through Jesus Christ. He was mourning the loss of his daughters, but he's talking about his salvation. Notice what he says. He says, my sin was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. And so that reality that there's this God that loved me enough to die for me, all of a sudden that's bringing life to his, his soul. And then he says this, looking to the future hope, he says this, haste be the day, 
Haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The drum shall resound. The Lord shall descend. What's he doing there? He's looking ahead, not just at his salvation. He's saying, okay, I worship the creator, the God of heaven and earth, and there will be a day when my Lord shall descend, and everything that I've believed, my entire faith, is going to come to fruition, and it brings him joy. It takes him to a place of gratitude, and so he repeats it again. Even though he's grieving, he says, it is well with my soul. He reminds himself of truth, and that truth takes him to the place where he's able to grieve, to give it to his Lord, and to say this, because of my salvation and my future hope, I will say it today. I will choose to praise. It is well with my soul. And so as we worship today, my prayer for you, particularly if you're facing a huge trial, my prayer for you this morning is that you would be able to find your joy in Christ. Maybe not a cure to the circumstance, but you'd find the peace of God. You'd find his presence. You'd find his satisfaction to be so real to you. So let's stand and we'll sing these songs together. this song together.
change. God, we lean on you and we love you. For your glory, Lord, and for the good of your church, we pray. Amen. Amen.